Good morning. Uh, how's everybody doing? All right, so uh, I'm torn because to be quite honest, that was pretty good. Pretty good's not good enough. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you again, and you don't have to you don't have to say good if you're not doing good, but I want to invite you if you're not doing good to just be like, ah, and then that way everybody's participating in some way, even if it's like, oh, I'm not having a great Sunday. All right, so I'm gonna say good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, I didn't hear any groans, so I'm gonna assume that means everybody's doing all right. Um, hey, I'm excited about this morning. If you don't, as you know, Josh mentioned, my name is Josh, a service lead pastor here. I think all y'all know that. Anybody that's gonna watch or listen later is gonna you know, find that out if they don't know. Uh, but we're excited, obviously, because today is Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter. And so as Josh said, I'm gonna be very honest, uh, I, I did not know about the whole, he is risen. All right, I gotta, I gotta tell y'all, that's a very white thing because your boy didn't know about that until about 12 months ago. And it was right out there. It was like our first service in this building last year, Easter Sunday. And I literally walked in and somebody was like, he's risen. And I looked at him perplexed. I was just looking at him like, yeah, no, for sure. 100%, that is 100%, 100% right. And they're like, he's risen indeed? And I was like, yes, uh, again, I agree. 100%, and they're like, no, that's the callback, you know, he's risen, he is risen indeed, and I was like, man, we didn't, we didn't do that growing up. I grew up in a, in a largely Spanish-speaking Pentecostal church, and when you walked in, when nobody, like, he's risen, and then everybody's like, he's risen indeed. That's just, that wasn't happening, and so I'm grateful for that, but I also really enjoy, uh, I don't, to my knowledge, my uncle's right there, my dad's right there, so maybe they have some type of insight as to whether there was some type of call and response, but I, I know that in Spanish, uh, <coughs> when I was growing up, there was another sort of callback uh, that that I found powerful speaking to this time, and it was um, and it was this idea where they said "Quién vive," and uh, what was the response? Cristo y a su nombre y a nosotros, Victoria, and it, it is in essence saying "Who lives, Jesus," and to His name glory, and to us the victory. And uh, I think that that speaks as true uh, to this day and to the idea of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus as, as he's risen, he's risen indeed. And so that's, that's why today's just a celebratory event. Not just that he's resurrected, but that it means victory for us. Uh, despite the fact that we failed, despite the fact all those things, it still means victory for us because of what he's done. And that's what makes this day so beautiful, so glorious. So that's the sermon today. And uh, I hope y'all, I'm just kidding, I'm just playing. Y'all thought y'all got out that lucky? You're, no. All right, so I, I'm actually really excited because talking about this, let me start my timer. Y'all, I am gonna actually be short today, I promise, because we got so many things that happen. I know some of y'all got the over-under, you're trying to make the money today, all right? But I promise you, you're probably still gonna make some money. All right, but anyway, what I'm getting at is that we, today is such a unique day because we do celebrate the resurrection today. And it's powerful and it's mysterious. And in our culture, it, it's powerful and it's mysterious. And, and some find it to be a bit ignorant. And what's funny is that that has not really changed from, from the days of Jesus to today. This idea that there was a man who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the one who was going to make things right, died and came back to life was as mysterious and unique and challenging and, and intellectually challenging and, and all these things as it is today. There's always been questions about how, what, no, right? Like that's always been the response and yet, and yet 
This is the central idea of Christianity. I love the way uh, a theologian named N.T. Wright describes Christianity and, and how it relates to the idea of the resurrection. He, he says it like this, Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. I think that's important. I think this is going, that really should hit home for some of us. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. That also should hit home for some of us. Um, it includes and indeed gives energy to all those things. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will, thank God, never be the same again either. So for some of us, you might even ask, like, what is this quote referring to? Like, what is it alluding to? And so for, for many of us, especially those of us that grew up Christian, you would assume that the event that is, that is being spoken of in this quote is, is probably something to do with, with the person of Jesus, yes. But if I asked a lot of us, what is it about Jesus that this must be referring to? What is it about this person of Jesus and something that he's done, an event in his life that has now changed the world forever? I think a lot of us that grew up in church would probably be like, oh, you mean the death of Jesus? You, you, that, that, must mean, that must be what you're referring to, that, that Jesus died and, and that, that he, he showed compassion and mercy on the cross, and, and that is grace. But what if I told you that the event that seems to be at the heart of our faith is not necessarily Jesus dying? The event that seems to be at the heart of the Christian faith is not that Jesus has died for us. It actually seems to be that Jesus isn't dead anymore. What, what do I mean by that? Well, well, what I mean by that is actually something that we can find in 1 Corinthians 15, which is, which is kind of the chapter we're going to be broadly working from today. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, speaking to uh, a group of Christians in a city called Corinth who are wrestling with, with some of the idea of resurrection and challenging whether this actually happens, he says this in verses 13 and 14. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. Now, that's intense. That's an intense statement. Right, in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the, the chapter that we're in, Paul covers this really powerful truth, this truth of the resurrection. And the thing is, it, he's not talking about how we need a Savior like he does in Romans 3, though we all know that. And the thing is, a lot of us who have been Christians in here know like Romans 3, and we're like, yeah, 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 because like, you know, all of sin and, and X, Y, and Z. And, but it's also not like how we're raised to life uh, spiritually through the work of Jesus like he does in Ephesians 2, which, again, a lot of us that grew up in church, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, in Ephesians 2. Like, we were dead in sins and trespasses, but now we're made alive with Christ. He's not talking about that. And, and he's also not talking about how, how we've been justified by faith in Christ the way he, he talks about it in Romans 4, which, again, a lot of us who are in the Christian faith and grew up in the Christian faith would assume this is, these are the big talking points, right? We, we need a Savior. We're all sinful. Man, Christ makes us alive through what he's done on the cross, dying for us. And, and through faith in him and his sacrifice, right, we are given new life. We are, we're justified by faith. And so for many of us that have grown up in church, that's kind of the path to salvation. And that's how we see the Christian faith. And if you were going to ask us, what is the event that turns the whole of, of history, that changes our lives, that we place all of our faith in, that's the story that we would, we would present to you. But for Paul, that's actually not what he's talking about here. 
He doesn't say your, your faith is in vain. And what that means is that your faith is useless. That's the more li- literal translation, that your faith is useless if you don't believe that you need a Savior, if you don't believe that, that somehow the atonement, the, the cross, Jesus dying brings you spiritual life. It, he's not saying your faith is useless if you're not justified by faith. He's saying your faith is useless. Faith is useless if Jesus is not resurrected from the dead. That's a powerful little paradigm switch for a lot of us. And he's not just misspeaking here because in just a couple of verses down, he doubles down on that bad boy. In verse 17 and 19, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is now worthless. You are still in your sins. And that should start confusing the mess out of us because every time we look at each other and go, you're forgiven, it's all related to the fact that Jesus has died to forgive you. And somehow here, Paul is saying, see, if he didn't resurrect, then you're still in your sins. Not if he didn't die, you're still in your sins, but if he didn't resurrect, you're still in your sins. He goes on in verse 18, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also just perished. They've just died. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. These are powerful and challenging words. A lot of y'all are probably looking at this like, where is this in the Bible? How come I haven't heard of this before? People have been telling me Jesus died for me, and that's what I need to believe in. And I literally hear about Jesus coming back to life one time all year, today. And yet Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is like, this is the, this is the crux on which everything is sitting. That if he went to this grave, but he did not come out of this grave, then all of it is worthless. All of it is meaningless. Why? Why is the resurrection so important? Why then? Because if I'm going to be honest, a lot of us in here, we've been coming to church our whole lives. And I, I could ask you that question and to be lovingly respectful of you. And to be quite honest about my own journey as a Christian over the past four to five years, a lot of us won't be able to even respond with a, a, a good answer. We kind of be like, oh, because it proves that he's God. And it's like, okay. But yet this book, the, the scriptures, what we say informs us about who God is, says so much more about the resurrection of Jesus than just proves that he's God. So why, why is it so important? And I, I think for us to start understanding that we have to start at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to broadly work from, from chapter 15, but we're not going to go through every single verse because it's a long verse and we got candy to get. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8, it starts with this powerful set of ideas. Paul says in verse 1, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. I want you to see that, that he's saying the message I've given you, that's what's saving you. Now what is that message? If you hold to the message I preached, uh, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important. Most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And there's a really important set of words in this verse 
that we have to understand in order to understand what Paul's talking about. And, and that's, that's this. It's going to be the, the, the slide with the underline in it. That, that all these things happen according to the scriptures. This is a really important word, a re really important phrase. Everyone say, according to the scriptures. Now, if I was going to ask you, what does that mean? What would you say? What would you say? I'm not, not a rhetorical question. I would love to know. According to the Bible, that's good. Fulfilling prophecy, I think that, that's also good. I think those things are true. That's generally what we, what we understand. That's what we've been taught a lot, is that according to the scriptures means that there's a list of prophecies that, that Jesus has met. And I think that that's true. I think that if you see how, how technical the idea of Jesus is, as we go back and evaluate, look at all these things that were said about him, and look at all these ways that he's fulfilled that. I think it's powerful. And yet the reality is, for someone like Paul, he was just learning this stuff too. Right, so when he says according to the scriptures, there's probably a ton of stuff that we have probably personally, like, like in the modern day, found about the prophecies regarding who Jesus is that we would show Paul and he'd be like, dude, I didn't even know that. Because he too was kind of working through these ideas of what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill all this? But that doesn't have to be necessarily what, what Paul is meaning in order for it to be true. Because for Paul, while I think that it is true that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, for Paul, he sees that a bit differently. And this word, according to the scriptures, I think he's, he's alluding to something more than just proof texts or prophecy fulfillment, but he's alluding to a story, a story in which God is the central character, and it's bigger than just God's story, it's actually our story. That according to the scriptures means that, that according to the story that has been, been laid out through the history of humanity, this story is, is being fulfilled, it's, it's, it's reaching its climax in this person coming and dying and resurrecting. And, and why is that important? Because the story starts at the very beginning of the book. It starts in a garden, right? And, and, and it uses this story of creation to, to tell us how everything went wrong. And that story tells us that while people were made to be loved by God and to experience God's love, and from there, to love God and to love other people and to, to steward, that means to take care of and build up the creation that's around us, something went wrong. That through temptation, right, through the temptation of the serpent, people separate themselves from God and his provision by taking the role of God for themselves. And we start to decide what's right. We start to decide what's wrong. We don't bring God into it. We remove him from the question of what our lives should look like, what our lives should be like, how our family should be. We remove him from the vision we have for our lives, our family, our community, our world. And we develop our own vision of what's right for our lives, our family, our community, our world. And the Bible says that this attitude, right, this disposition is actually sin. That that is sin. The idea of taking on the role of, of, of being God and judging what's right and judging what's wrong is what it means to be in sin. And because we pursue our own vision of things, we leave behind God's vision for our lives, God's vision for our family, God's vision for our communities, God's vision for our world, and we do it all on our own. We, we live out what we believe to be the right thing. And this is us in the story. That's the point of the story in, the, in, in that beginning section. Right, a lot of us read Genesis and we go, well, well, this must be how the world was created. And, and we have like these questions about the origin of the world. But the actual point of Genesis 1 through 3 is, is not necessary. And wh however you want to interpret the beginning of the world is fine. But it, it's actually trying to tell you this is you in the story. 
that the story of humanity is rooted in the truth that people have decided to take the role of God for themselves, decide what's right and what's wrong, and through that they have left and departed from God's ways and God's will. And the result of this sin is death. <coughs> I used this example a couple of weeks ago that at Home Depot, I got into gardening recently and I ordered a, a plant. What is it called? Like a tray or like a, it's not a planter. It goes, uh, saucer, saucer. That's the right, that's the right one. I, I ordered a, a saucer and that saucer, when I ordered it, I ordered a 12 inch one and they, they emailed me and were like, hey, we only have a 10 inch one. And so when I went in, I was like, oh, is there any, they didn't have it up there. And they're like, you can go get the 10 inch saucer on your own. So I went and back then I knew that there was a tree of saucers back in the gardening section at Home Depot somewhere. So I started looking around thinking, I bet if I could find this, tw this tree of saucers, I will be able to find the 12-inch saucer. Sure enough, I turned the corner and I'm like, there it is, the tree of saucers. And then I look down and sure enough, I find the 12-inch saucer and I pick it up. And there's a part of me that went, now that man charged me for the 10-inch saucer. But they didn't look hard enough for the 12-inch saucer. So I'm gonna go ahead and take this 12-inch saucer and the five cent difference between the two ain't gonna hurt nobody. And then I walked out. And as I walked out of Home Depot, I literally looked at the man uh, who, was, who was like the customer service, and I literally, with the 12 inch sauce in my hand, looked at him and was like, I got what I needed. And then I walked out. Right, this is kind of the, the pattern that, that sin is alluding to this idea that in my mind, I can devise what's right and what's wrong for myself. And from there, I, I live out. Right, what my vision of right and wrong is, what my vision of what the world should look like is, and, and that leads me inevitably to depart from the honest, truthful, loving, sincere ways of God. So that, that seems small, but the thing is, that same pattern comes alive as I work through my life. The same way I think, well, this won't hurt Home Depot is the same way later I think, well, this won't hurt my wife. This won't hurt my kids. My job will never know. My spouse will never know. My family will never know. My friends will never know. My dad will never know. My mom will never know. And all of a sudden, this vision of my own life leads me to depart from God's ways. And this pattern of sin that, that we live out, all of us are guilty of it. And, and from this sin, the other great foe of humanity enters that through sin comes death. And death, that through sin, death enters. And, and because sin separates us from God, who is the source of life itself, we are also separated from the source of life. That's why I don't think it's going to be up here. Romans 6.23, which all of you know, uh, is for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That now every moment of beauty and kindness and joy is taunted and mocked by the truth that it will one day end. That it will one day finish. That it will one day cease to exist. That you will die, they will die, X, Y, and Z. And, and I don't know if you relate to this, but I relate to it deeply. There are times at night, my, my dad and mom can testify to this, that I will occasionally send a random text message to them being like, I love y'all so much. You're the best mom. You're the best dad. I could have asked for a better mom, a better dad. I'm so blessed. I love you so much. And every time they'll both be like, are you okay? Like, are you all right? What's going on? And I'm like, nothing. I'm just thinking about you. And truly what I'm thinking about is I'm, most of the time it comes at like 1145 at night. What I'm thinking about is one day they will not be here. And I tell my wife oftentimes, I look at her and think like, man, this is probably the best time of my life. I have a family that I never dreamed of having. I have an incredible wife, beautiful children. My parents, who at one time had a lot of animosity with the, toward each other, are like best friends now. 
they'd be blowing up the group chat to the point I got to just turn it off. I'm just going, like, hey, just stop. Y'all two talk way too much. I just got to turn this off because if not, I'm going to have like 85 million, you know, notifications. It's just beautiful. And every once in a while, I think to myself, this is going to end. There's going to be a day where this is no more. Because death is coming. We will not avoid it. You will not avoid it. It's going to be here. For some early, for some late. But it's coming. That every good and beautiful thing is taunted by the truth that it will come to an end. That it cannot be forever. Because of sin. And this looming fear of death, this looming reality of life, people begin to to choose what's best for them in each moment of their lives. We walk around without any real vision of who we want to be or what we want or, 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 or how we want our lives to be, our family to be, the world to be, because the, the truth that death is coming and the inner working of us going, I can choose what's right or wrong, leads the world around us and we ourselves to go, I got to get what I can get now. I got to experience the joy I can get now. I got to feel as good as I can now. Because the day's coming where I can't have it anymore. It reminds me of a quote from the, the great author and thinker C.S. Lewis. A lot of y'all have maybe heard this before, that, that he writes in his book, The Way to Glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to, be, wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. And the thing is, friends, right, this truth of, of, what, of what's happening in sin and death is behind every single, every single bit of sorrow, every single bit of hurt, every single bit of heartbreak, every single bit of sadness, every single bit of mourning, every single bit of, of, of just sorrow and angst and anger and bitterness, every single negative experience you have had in your life finds its roots all the way back as it interweaves through a story of humanity that, that finds its taproot right at the fact that sin and death reign in the world around us. Every single moment, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's relational issues where someone has hurt you, whether it's the own, your own consequences of how you've hurt other people, every single thing you've experienced that has left your heart just a little bit scarred has its roots in this truth that, that while we were made to be loved by God, to love God, to love others, and to walk in his vision for our lives and the world around us, because we've taken on the role of God, we've departed from his ways, death has entered the picture, and the world we live in now is run and ruled by the consequences of our sin. That's what we live in. But in the midst of that, in this story, there's a faint hope. Right? You hear me talk about this way too often, but it's because it's, it's, it's finally a, a really important part of the Bible. That in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, there's this glimmer of hope, even in the beginning of this story, in the midst of the darkness, that, that, that speaks of one coming that's going to make something happen. Right? That in 13 and 14, in Genesis chapter 3, the author says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat the dust of uh, eat dust all the days of your life. 
And 15 is important. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so in the midst of that dark story, there is this little bit of hope that says there's one coming who's going to make this right. There's one coming who's going to look at sin and going to look at death and he's going to deal with them. He's going to wrestle them. He's going to conquer them. He's going to overcome them. And through overcoming sin and through overcoming death, he will set the world right because the big enemies of the human experience, sin that leads us away from God and the death that comes with it will now be conquered and overcome and will be freed to live back with God in his ways, following him again. That one day that person will come. And for Paul, he looks at Jesus on the cross. He looks at Jesus resurrected. And he says, that's the fulfillment of this story. That's where this story has met its climax. All of that hope, all of that sadness, all of that misery, all of that joy, all the moments that we feel like, man, I wish I could have this forever, all of the moments where I say, I wish I could have that back, all the moments where I say, I wish I hadn't done that, all the moments where we say, man, I'm so glad that that happened, and I'm so glad that I did that, all of those moments find their, their resolution. All of those moments find their truth. All those moments find their, their, their origin, their reality, their heart in this person. That when God himself entered the story and he lived out the vision of God for his own life and he lived out the vision of God for his family and he lived out the vision of God for his community and he lived out the vision of God for this world yet gave himself to be overcome by the darkness of the world and said, come on, exhaust all of your power on me. Give it everything you have on me. And he hung on a cross and he's spit on and he's tormented physically. He's tormented spiritually. That death and sin exhaust all of their power. They do everything they can. They try to keep him down. They put him in a grave. He's beaten. He's bloody. He's ridiculed. All that just so that three days later he could go. And in a moment, the worst of what death can do, the worst of what sin can do, are conquered by a, a living resurrected, victorious Savior who has overcome the worst of what sin has, who's overcome the worst of what death has, and is now reigning over them saying, I've overcome you. And now my, my people are invited into not just this life, not just the story of this life, but into a new story of new life and new creation, one that is, that is led by and built on the work that Jesus has done, not just by dying, not just by dying, but that's built on him living, him resurrecting, him overcoming death, overcoming sin, and inviting each and every one of us now to live, not just in, in, the, in the idea that we're forgiven for the choices that we've made in this life, but that through Jesus, through the work on the cross and the work of his resurrection, we're now invited into new life. That there's hope for every moment of sadness, every moment of heartache, that everything sin and death have caused in this life, that every moment of sadness, heartache, everything that's happened in every moment leading up to this, that they have been conquered and overcome by the risen and glorious Savior who now says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And invites us into living out our faith, no longer aligned with the brokenness and the enslavement to sin of this life, but rather in the freedom and joy and hope of a new life. A new life that doesn't end when we breathe our last here, 
but maybe even just starts when we breathe our last year. That's the actual story that Paul sees when he sees the person of Jesus resurrected. And he goes, man, if it's not about this, it's pointless. Because here's the thing. Here's, here's what I would even ask you. And this even just reinforces the point of what we're talking about, to be quite honest. How many of us even live in the truth that I just, that I just in my apologies, screamed about for the past four minutes? How many of us even live in that? Because here's the thing. Even if you are Christian in here, even if you're a Christian, and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. For so many of us, the moment we think about or the time we think about this truth, that Jesus is alive and victorious and he's overcome and he's the conqueror, comes up on our radar maybe once a year today. And the rest of our lives, we just think about how Jesus has died for us. And in a lot of ways, let me be very honest with you. Your faith in Jesus is, is saving, it's powerful, it's beautiful, but if you're being honest with me and I'm being honest with you, for those of us that have lived in a way where we just say, man, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, you have been working on those same sins for the past 15, 10, 5, 20, 25, 30 years, and you've gone, man, every time I sin, I go back to the man on the cross, but very few times when you sin do you go to the man that's alive from the cross. And the majority of your Christian experience just like the majority of my Christian experience, has been going to the breakers of our life. You've heard me talk about this, some of you. The breakers of my life and going, I need to get all of them on. I need to try and be as perfect as I can be because I was forgiven by the man on the cross dying. But we never look and go, what is the new invention, the, the new adventure, the new life that I'm meant to live? Where is it taking me? Because here's the thing, friend, before Jesus' death and resurrection, you were bound to sin and death. And the thing is, because we don't ever think about Jesus' resurrection, for some of us, we're Christians, and we still seem to be bound to sin and death. We still seem to look at our life and go, man, it only has so much time. I need to get everything I can get. We still look at our lives and go, man, I messed that up. I messed that up. I messed that up. Let me go to Jesus. Let me repent and let me go back and try to get better. So much so that today is Easter. And the main thing that for many of us that we're doing is we're walking into this room and we're going, God, please give me some type of direction on how I can make my life better, how I can get better, how I can stop sinning in this way, how I can stop sinning in that way. And yet very few times are we ever raptured up into the story that God has broken through the, the, the cage and, 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 and consequence of sin and death has invited us into a new life and says, follow me. Follow me, and as you follow me, I'll be with you. And there'll come a day where I take care of every broken piece. But right now, right now our job is to bring the new creation into the world, to care for people, to love people, to humble yourself, to, to sacrifice for the sake of others, to build up the world around you, to experience the depth of my love for you, and in response to love me and to love others, and from there to live out a life that, that is envisioned, that is exampled by Jesus himself as he came and lived out God's vision for his life, his family, his community, his world. So few of us do that because we're so caught up in what it means to be right and what it means to be wrong that we think we have to conquer sin we have a victorious Savior who's already conquered it. 
It's a huge part of who we are as a church, and that's why I'm talking about this. Because over there it says, connect with God, grow with family, serve the city. And the thing is, for some of us, we think, how can I sacrifice? How can I, how can I do that? How can I, how can I lay down my life? Because there is this aching concern in us that if we do that, we'll never get what's coming to us. Because we, we've, we've lost the risen Savior and replaced him with a fractured, imperfect us. And the thing we're chasing is not the new life that Jesus offers in his resurrection, but the hope that we can be perfect on this side of eternity. So we just keep giving ourselves a try and be better and better every day, neglecting all of the new life that Jesus offers us in serving, loving, and him restoring along the way. And so this is a different type of message, if I'm being honest. I would say the application to a message like this is let's go home and read your Bible, more join us on April 22nd to serve the hungry. Why? Because I'm a firm believer that if you don't take the steps of living out the new life with Jesus in serving and loving other people, your experience with Christianity is nothing more than you trying to make yourself better instead of living in the victory and triumph of our Savior. And that would be a disappointing, heartbreaking truth to live out here just to get there and been like, I could have done so much more in the few years that I had between being born, being born again, and dying. And yet today, right now, the invitation for us is to live in the truth of who Jesus is as the victorious and triumphant Savior. That today, I'm not even necessarily going to ask you to repent, though I think that is a necessary quality and invitation in salvation, but that today, your job my job isn't even to look and say, oh, there is the crucified Jesus that forgives me of my sins, but rather to see him as the resurrected Savior that has conquered your sins and conquered death. That now the life you live is wrapped up and hidden in Christ. Why? Because it's in him that we have found the hope that we need for the future and the affirmation we need is from our guilt, the, the resolution we, I mean, everything. That's the invitation today to see him as risen and victorious, and from there to go out and, and try to follow his steps the best that we can. If that's what we do today, I promise you, your life will be molded into the mold of the Redeemer, not because you're going home and reading your Bible enough, though I, trust me, I, I, I'm obsessed with the Bible, but if I think the Bible is going to change me, and reading the Bible is the means by which I'm supposed to tap into the new life of Christ, that I'm probably not putting my new foot in front of my other new foot and living out my new life. I'm still just trying to go back and read the Bible to get a glimpse of how I can change my old life. And that's not the new life. That's not the new life in Christ. So today I wanna to invite you to, to see him glorified, to see him resurrected, and from there to see your past, your sins, your death, your, the death of the people that you love as conquered. And from there, let that free you to serve, to love, to lay down your life, to humble yourself, because that's the actual means of what it looks like to follow him. But it doesn't happen without the truth that this story we're a part of has found its fulfillment in this man on the cross and this man alive three days later. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this uh, 
time that we have together. Thank you for the truth of who you are as our Savior, as our Redeemer. Thank you for who you are as the one who, who's not just said, hey, you're forgiven, but the one who has conquered sin and death on our behalf. That we sit here as free people. We sit here as, as exonerated from the guilt of our sin. We sit here freed from the, the bitterness of death. And as your, your, your apostle Paul declared, death, where's your sting? We don't cling to it because of how much we've accomplished, because of how good we are, because of how much our life has changed, but simply because we rely upon and see and give our life to the resurrected Savior who has conquered sin and conquered death and invites us into a new life and has brought a new creation into the world. Father, let us fall into that new creation marked by love and compassion and grace, and from it let us walk out love and compassion and grace. Let us see Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and Friday nights as not ours, but opportunities to display and experience your love. And so let us, let us feel what it means to live out our faith, not just by saying, God, I'm forgiven, let me get better as a person, but saying, God, you are victorious in conquering. How do I bring your kingdom into the world? And Father, as we do that, let us experience the joy of your transformation work in our lives that happens not through us saying, how can I change myself, but happens as we look and say, I'll follow you. As we respond to the invitation, follow me. Thank you for the truth of your resurrection that we live in every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.